Okay, sorry. Oh, wow. I think we're ready to get started. <coughs> and what we're going to do this session is we're going to, we want to hear from you. And so whatever questions you have about giving Bible studies, about anything that we've covered, about evangelism in general, uh, that's especially what we want to focus in on. Um, so we hope that you guys are ready because this hour is dependent upon you to have a lot of questions. And it's always hard to get the ball rolling, so I think once we get a few questions, things will start coming to your mind. Uh, so again, anything that we've covered or anything in general, if you have a unique situation, a person maybe that you've been studying with and you have a question about, anything at all that relates to uh, evangelism and, and, and giving Bible studies or, or anything along those lines, we welcome your questions. So why don't we just begin with a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll begin. Okay, why don't we just bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this, um, this time that once again that we can gather together. Thank you for GYC and all that it stands for and what it means um, to be living in these last days. And Lord, you call the special people to, to finish this work. And Lord, we, we can't do it on our own strength. And it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a disaster when we try to do it on our own. So we pray for your spirit. We pray that you would draw near to your people. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and help us to have open hearts and minds. And uh, we just thank you so much that you care enough about us to give us so much counsel and wisdom in your word. Help our eyes to be open so that we can see it. Bless us now during our session, and we ask for wisdom from above. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, anybody have a question to start? Yes. Okay, the question is, do you have any tips on giving Bible studies to your own family? Well, what I found is, for, for myself, um, you know, most of my family is not Seventh-day Adventist. I have an aunt and uncle that are, I have a cousin that are, but they're all relatively new. Uh, my family is about as far away uh, from Adventism as you can imagine, and, and Christ in, in himself. And so, you know, it's especially difficult when you have family because more than anyone else, your family tends to be more resistant to what you have to say when it comes to religion and the Bible. And so, um, you know, I would suggest, you know, if your family is very eager and excited to, to receive Bible studies, then, then by all means, give it to them. You have to be careful, though, because what tends to happen is because you have that comfortableness with your family, there's, an, there's a temptation to be more pushy with them and, and, and pushing that truth on them and and you have to remember to continue to follow the principles um, that we share here. Not sharing too much, not, not uh, diving into the deep truths. And so you have to be very careful with that. Um, what I've found in, in my experience is if you have someone that is qualified, that you trust very well with your family, 
Um, I would encourage you to let that person lead the study because it is, I think that you'll find you'll receive better results through that because, um, like I said, there's just a, there's a it, it's a great bridge your family because you're close to them, but it also can be a barrier. So you have to remember to keep that balance. Now, if your family is resistant to uh, Bible studies, if they're resistant to church and the Bible and, and Seventh Adventism, then you know there's not a magic wand that you can wave to make them interested. Um, all that you can do is be the best example you can and you know let them see the joy the peace that you have and intensely pray for them and pray to the point where you say Lord let something happen in their life that will bring a crisis or something that will help them to be open and you have to remember when they're not open when they're not open to try to shove truth at them it's going to only make them more resistant when that crisis does come. Does that, does that make sense? It, so it, they can build resistance. So you have to be careful. If they're not open, if they're not willing, then be careful you don't push too much. Um, and, and just let them see the joy that you have. And there will come a time when God will, will open that heart and he will speak to them. And then guess who's going to you know? For instance, let me give you an example. My uncle, Seventh Avenue, I'm Seventh Avenue. My father is not. He, 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 he actually like makes fun of me and my uncle. But when something in the world happens, like 9-11 or an earthquake or something, who do you think he, the first people is that he calls? He calls me. He calls my uncle and says, you think something's happening, right? And so they know. If, you, if you're a true Christian, if you're really living how Christ asks you to live, they know that, and they are watching you more than you realize. And they may not admit it, but when something happens, they need prayer or whatever, they're going to come to you, and that will be your opportunity then uh, to share Christ with them. Did you want to add something? More than adding anything, I'd reiterate what Wes has said, and just give a couple examples. Um, with our family especially, you really can't give them Bible studies unless they ask you for them or unless they want them from you. You know, you can go out other people's doors and offer and be more aggressive, but when it's your family, they're going to perceive you as trying to change them or something like that. And it's going to put up a lot of walls and a lot of barriers. But what you can do is what we talked about in the first class on Thursday morning, and that is really watch what's happening in their life and pray for them a lot. And really pay attention to those times when they're having success, but they're disillusioned or disappointed because they wanted more from this life and it's disappointing them or when they're having hard times. And then um, salt their oats by being the best Christian you can, like Wes said. And you have to have something that they want. So if people want happiness, then you have to have the source of happiness. They need to see, you know, like Kevin said in the class earlier today, that you're a happy Christian, that you're not walking around with, with sadness because you're tied to this earth. And so our life is the best witness to our family, and then there can be times when they do have questions. I'll give a couple examples for myself. I have quite a few cousins, and one of my cousins is an obvious searcher. And um, you can just, he writes poetry, he does a lot of nature things and stuff like that, and when you read his poetry, you just hear this longing heart. One, one of his poems describes um, that he felt like an empty suitcase tossed out on the side of the road. And he's not a depressed person. He's very ambitious in life. But he's expressing something that's inside. Well, of course, I want to rush in there and say, you don't have to be an empty suitcase cast out on the side of the road, you know? You're chosen by God. 
But I've just been watching through the years for those moments when you know I can talk to him and we have family gatherings and things like that. He and I have already, always kind of had a little kindred spirit. And so it's just being able to say, sometimes saying 10% with your family is better than 100%. So if you have 100% to say to them, try to think about the 10% that, um, that would make the most impact and really do that with your family. Say 10% instead of 100%. And um, that will help. Just a little comment. Personal testimony is really good with family because they can't argue with that. And um, one other example which just reiterates what Wes is saying, that if you live the life, your family will come to you. Well, we have a family member who has a really, really big heart for animals and for hurting people and things like that. And his dog was sick. And if I recall, I don't think I was even officially in the family yet. I, I think I might have been engaged, I don't remember. But anyway, I get this phone call, what seemed to me out of the blue. And the phone call went like this. My dog's about to die. And if God will answer anybody's prayers, he'll answer yours. Could you pray? And I did pray, and God did allow the dog to die. And, you know, all I could do at that point was to, you know, be a friend and, and to sympathize and, you know, shed a few tears over the sadness. But the fact was that because of the life we lived, people will call us. And that was, you know, a 2B family member. <laughs> he knew he was going to be my family member because it was about to happen. But anyway, um, those are just a couple examples of the life that we live opens the opportunities. And you got to watch for the highs and the lows. And expect more um, witnessing opportunities with your family when they're going through highs and lows in their life. And so, in your home, share 10% instead of 100% and make sure that you live the life so that they will come to you when they have that need. I remember I was, um, to add to that, I was living with my cousin for a while when I first got out of jail. and. Um, God had allowed a situation in her life that opened her up. And so I would, um, like Annie was talking about um, yesterday, the, the uh, was it the hit and run uh, Bible studies? What I would do with my cousin every morning, before, when I got up, I got up very early, I would, I would write out a, a, a scripture for her and leave it on the kitchen table so when she came out to have her coffee, she would have it there. And I did this for like a month. And then I thought, you know, she had never said anything to me about it, so I stopped doing it. Well, one day she came to me like angry and said, why, why don't you write those things out for me anymore? I need those. And so even though I didn't realize I was ha having an impact, there was an impact that was being taken. And so um, be patient. Family uh, are the, the slowest, uh, it seems like, to win. But even though you, don't, you may not realize you're having an impact, you're having an, an impact if we're living the life. Just one more thing. I remember um, sharing some things with a family member and thinking that it was just falling on deaf ears. And I wasn't pushing it or anything, but I just mentioned a few things. And then later on, someone outside of the family had talked to them. And they're like, wow, that's a great idea. You know, I'm going to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, that's what, I've been, that's what I've been saying the whole time. And what you have to realize sometimes is you are heard in your family. People do hear you, whether it's extended family or close family. They do hear you, but there's that, you know, there's that need in 
in family to hold your identity and to, to not just follow what the other person's telling you to do because they're family. And um, what you share can have an impact and then someone else can come in that God brings in that can reinforce that and then a person can make a decision for Christ. I just want to say one more thing and then we'll take the next question. But, you know, it, it's you want your family so badly to accept the Lord. I mean, you know what you experience from Christ. You know the peace, the joy, and you want it so badly. I mean, there are times that I mean, I wake up in the middle of the night or I'm driving down the road and this thought just overwhelms me that what if Jesus comes and, and, and the day is going to come. You know, we live day by day and we just kind of get in this, this click where we're just so used to having our family there. But we say the day's going to come when there are going to be those inside and outside the city. We want our family to be there. And, and I'm sometimes I get mortified thinking that there may come a day when I look outside that city my family's there. And so it, it, I, it just it makes you want to share more, and we you gotta maintain that balance. And and the best thing if they're resistant, you can do is pray for them. And let me tell you, I've been praying for my dad now. I've been a Christian and an Adventist for seven and a half years. I've been praying for my dad since day one. When I graduated from AFCO in 2004, <clears throat> I came back to my home church, and um, I had preached a sermon and. Uh, I, I preached on the second coming of Christ, and I invited my dad to come, and he came. And when I finished that sermon, I went back to shake hands, and my dad came out, out to the back of the church, pushed past me, and ran out the door, and I, and I followed after him, and he ran all the way down the length of the church. I mean, he was sprinting, and he jumped into his car and left. He was so convicted about the, what I was preaching he, he, I'd never, I mean, I was just like, my mouth was to the floor. And, and he never mentioned a word about it again. But let me tell you, since that time, or, or not that particular instance he didn't mention it, but since I've been praying for him, he's begun to ask questions. And when I went through my cancer, just last Sabbath, I shared my testimony at the church. I invited him. It was the second time he's been in the church. The first time was then. This is the second time. And he was, I watched his face. He was listening so intently. And I said something, I said this, I said, even though I was laying on my deathbed and I knew that I was dying, I said, I knew that I had comfort <clears throat> and peace. And even if I died, I could still die in peace and I could still die knowing that I, had, I was right with God and, and I was at peace about it. And, uh, and when I said that, my dad, my dad just, his head snapped up. And, he, and I saw the look on his face, and it was just like, how could you have that peace? You know what I'm saying? And so the example that you leave with people will make an impact on them. That's the biggest thing you can do. So keep praying for them and keep living for Christ. Okay, next question. Okay. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Okay, so the question is that, uh, for, the, for the microphone here, that a, a large argument is that people are basically hypocrites, is what you're saying, or they're weak. Um, and what happens if we mess up in the face of our family 
Um, how to following Christ, right? Right, we sin or fall short. Okay, um, when you guys want to address that, I think it's a good testimony that that we do fall uh, as Christians, that we do still make mistakes as Christians more than more than it being a detriment, more than it being something that would push somebody away, um, because first of all. People can see how we react when we when we mess up, uh, as opposed to how somebody in the world may react. And also, it shows that we're still people. We're not perfect people. You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. We're still going to make mistakes, um, but with those mistakes, we learn and we grow and and we get closer. And so, um, of course, depending on the mistake, uh, it could be marital unfaithfulness or something like that, but um, it does show that we are people. And, and in the Bible, uh, we see many of God's people making mistakes. And uh, like King David, he probably made the biggest mistakes. And he was a man after God's own heart. It shows the mercy of God. It shows that uh, we, although we're trying to, to um, um, have a, a better life and we're trying to let Christ um, control our lives and we are trying for perfection, that doesn't mean we're perfect and that we're better than, than anyone else. And so uh, it can work in your favor uh, depending on what the, the sin is, I guess, if it's something, something like marital unfaithfulness uh, that does show the, the mercy of God. Um, maybe Annie wants to add to that? I think the stories in the Bible, like Kevin mentioned, are a real testimony to us because God chose those people. He actually put them in the Bible as an example to us, and he showed their journey. And so it's not that we don't believe in perfection or believe in you know, Christian living, but we're on a journey, and we're, and we're striving for that. And so it does make us real people. I have to share from my own experience that, um, like many of us, I had extreme stage fright. You know, I could just freeze up going in front of people, and the thought of doing any music up front or speaking or anything was just an impossibility to me. And my fear was that I would get up there and fail, get up there and blow it and mess up. And of course I do, many times. But you know what the most encouraging thing to me was? To see big name people get up and make a mistake up front, and then go on. And to see that they had some kind of inner strength, which we know is God, that keeps them going even in the face of failure. And um, the other thing that I would share along those lines is, in the very beginning of time, there was no such thing as evil. There was only good. And so that's all Adam and Eve saw of God's character. They saw how God treats good people. Because Adam and Eve, in the beginning, were perfect, made in the image of God. But then after Adam and Eve fell, another aspect of the character of God was revealed. And that was, how does God treat failures? How does he treat people who disappoint him? How does he treat people who rebel against him? And there's, so, there's an aspect of God's character that was revealed then in the great controversy. And so when you and I fail, our concept of God, the story that we can tell about the God who loves us and still believes us and who picks us up and still wants to sees in his kingdom and still wants to use us is a story that we can tell about God's character that people won't see if we're perfect. And they're like, of course God loves you, because you're perfect. 
Of course God loves you because you're always toe the line. And we can say, you know what? Let me share with you how my life has really been. And let me share with you how God has loved me and believed in me and picked me up and carried me forward. And that's a part of God's character that can really melt and, and soften hearts. If we're willing to, you know, bear our soul and tell, you know, who we really are and who God really is. I think another important aspect is that when you mess up, let's say you lose your temper with your non-Christian friend or relative, to just simply admit it. And when you approach that person in complete humility, and you say, you know what? I blew it, and I'm very sorry. And that was unchristian of me. That is not who God has called me to be. I sinned against you. I sinned against God, and I'm so sorry. And when they see that humility in you, that healing process can be more than the damage that you caused by that. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm not saying get mad at people so you can go back and, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that. But God can use that in a mighty way because they, they, they see everyone lose their temper. And when they see you lose your temper, they say, oh, he's like everyone else. But not everyone else comes back in complete humility and asks for forgiveness. And when they see that, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And, you know, a, a quick example is my dad. Before I was a Christian, he stepped out on my mom. They got divorced. My mom tried to commit suicide. And my, she took a bunch of sleeping pills. And my dad left her to die. As a result of that, I told my dad, I said, I never want to see you again. I hate your guts. And I said, the only reason I'll come to your funeral is to spit on your grave. That was before I was a Christian, okay? After I became a Christian, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you did to Mom. But I also want to ask you to forgive me. Now, that wasn't easy for me to do. That had to be a complete act of God because I could not have done that on my own. But when I did that, I saw his face just relieved. I mean, just like this stress just like left him because he knew that his son loved him and cared about him. And my dad always feels like a complete failure and he feels like he's let our family down. But the fact that I, I still love him and I still approach him and I, and, and, and I tell him I'm sorry when I mess up, that does something to people because the world doesn't do that. And if they do, it's typically for a selfish reason. And so when people see you do that, that can, that can really impact them. And uh, even if you're the one that's been wrong, I'm, yeah, even if you're the one that's been wrong, you go to that person, you say, look, I know that there's a strain between us. I want you to know that if there's anything that I've done to create stress, I want to ask your forgiveness. Even if they're the one that hurt you, that will create a spirit of forgiveness in that person. And they may break down and respond and say, I'm sorry too, right? The Bible does not tell us to seek apologies. Are you with me? The Bible does not say anywhere to seek apologies. It says seek forgiveness. And uh, we don't often realize when people hurt us. You know, Jesus' attitude on the cross was, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing, Father. So please forgive them. And many times people that are even converted or unconverted, uh, when they hurt us, we don't always understand, you know, what the, or they, I'm sorry, they don't understand what they're doing. And so we have to not only 
you know, take the attitude of of uh, of forgiveness, but reconciliation. That should be our goal, even if we have to humble ourselves, and that will be a testimony to that person. Okay. Next question. Yeah, sister, you had your hand up several times. Let me, let me say this. If you have a question, why don't you come up here and it will save time if you just speak into the mic rather than me repeating it. So if you have a question or you think of one, just come up here and, and sit towards the front and then you can just step up into the mic. It does save a little time. Okay. I live in a predominantly East, uh, East Indian community, and our church has been completely unsuccessful in reaching out to them. Do you have any tips uh, in how to reach out to them? Well, Kevin is our European Africa representative, so I'll let him answer that question. Where, where was it exactly? Uh, actually, this is a community in Vancouver, but Vancouver. Uh, the neighborhood is completely East Indian. Mm. Uh -huh. Um, one, of the, one of the wonderful things that God has given us and blessed our church with is a health ministry. And, you know, the world is uh, very unhealthy for the most part. And um, at least I have found health really opens up the doors to, um, to a spiritual. And so you could have different health programs. Um, you can have health expos, cooking classes, and generally you're going to have the most success if you don't have it in your church. And um, if you can find a place where you have these activities that are not um, labeled as Seventh-day Adventists, so to speak, um, you can make friends with people and then lead them a st uh, step at a time. Health ministry is, is very powerful in reaching people where we can't get to um, right into the Bible with somebody. Um, making friends with them rather than trying to, um, let me give you an example of this. We were in Denver and I was living in an apartment complex. We were, we were working toward a series with uh, Amazing Facts and It Is Written. And we were in a community, in a, an apartment complex, where we could not knock on doors. And so once we moved in, in the office, there were signs that said, no door knocking, no handbills. And so when we saw handbills, we knew Adventists had, had come. And so as we were living there, one day I was thinking, how can we knock on doors without knocking on doors? And so my, my, one of my roommates was from Hawaii. And so... Uh, his mom would send him food packages, and so he became my best friend. And so she would send him like one one box of food had a whole box of macadamia nuts. You like macadamia nuts? I love macadamia nuts. So there was like six cans, and so I was thinking about it one day. I said, Daniel, why don't we go to our neighbors and give them give them some macadamia nuts, and this way we can introduce ourselves and. And, uh, and start the process. So he said, sure, but you do the talking. So we went to the door, and it was a single mom. They were Native American with three daughters. And so when they answered the door, we gave them a can of macadamia nuts and told them who we were, and we talked with them for a few minutes, and they really appreciated it. Then we went to the next door. It was a young guy, and he was a real rough guy. 
Well, he finally answered the door, and we gave him the macadamia nuts, and he said, you guys are the Bible guys, aren't you? And so we just looked at one another. I said, I guess we are. And so we started talking. He said, my brother's in prison. And he, every week I get a letter from him, and he's talking about the Bible and about Jesus. We ended up getting a Bible study with this young man through a can of macadamia nuts. Some time goes by. Daniel gets another food box, and it's uh, golden pineapples straight from Hawaii. And so there was only two, though. And so I said, Daniel, we already got Johnny a Bible study, so we'll keep one for us, and we'll bring the other one to the girls. So we went to the girls again, and we knocked on the door, and I had the pineapple behind my back, and we were talking to them for a few minutes, and bam, we gave them the pineapple, and like they could not believe it. And the teenager said, that's my favorite fruit. And so she said something to me. She said, Kevin, we've been living here for years, and we have never once even met one of our neighbors. And you guys have been here for only a couple months, and we feel like we've known you our whole lives. And that really opened the door. We ended up having them over for dinner one night. We got them to the meetings through a pineapple and a can of macadamia nuts. So health is a very good way to reach people, and food is a very good way to reach You can reach me through food, I'll tell you that much. And so these are some, some creative areas. Um, health is a big one, and food works well. You know, if you bake a pie and bring it to your neighbor, who, who's not going to be won by that, a homemade baked pie? I know Wes and I will be won by that. So, that, so get creative and, and don't focus so much on, on the spiritual. Uh, that'll come later. Focus on the friendship and being in the community and accessible. At Sacramento Central, they have a number of, of great ministries. They have one called CARS, C-A-R-S. It's Christian Automotive Repair Service. Mm. And like one or two Sundays a month, they offer free oil changes, free uh, just basic service for the car. And that requires some effort, some work. But you would not believe the people that come to that and the people that are influenced and people start coming to church. They also give uh, many young Adventists uh, are very talented in music. Um, the, the youth pastor there gives free guitar lessons for the community, uh, advertises it in the newspaper. Um, you know, there's endless ways. Um, whatever, this is what I would encourage you to do. In your church, find out what the special gifts are in that church. If you have people that are dentists or people that are nurses, do free services. Whatever your talents are, Develop that because there are going to be other people interested. And when you meet those people, you've already got, you know, one of the goals when you meet someone new, when you're trying to witness to them, is to find something in common. Well, if you've already established that. If you, if you play an instrument or whatever, and you're offering free lessons or, or you're working on cars or whatever the case may be. So take your talent and just turn it into a ministry and use it for the Lord because God can use anything. Amen. And uh, so, so, so use that for, for God's glory. Just ask God, Lord, what can I do? Help me have some support. Send some people my way, and let's do something together. There's just two things that I would mention, and that is that, um, first of all, find out what you have in common with them, which can mean doing a little bit of research on the culture and religion and things like that, the values that they hold near and dear to their heart. And find some things that you genuinely admire. When I was on a mission trip to Ghana, Africa, 
uh, when I was there, the, um, the driving system and the driving rules with the roundabouts and things like that were very different from what I'm used to here. And I remember being absolutely fascinated by it because everyone understood what two honks meant and everyone understood what you know, one, two, three, honking your horn three times meant. And I was fascinated by the system. I was like trying to crack the code and figure out, well, how, how are they communicating with each other on these roundabouts to know who goes next? And especially when I got behind the wheel and I had to drive over there. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, how do I do this? But I was absolutely fascinated by it, and I admired it. I mean, they could communicate with each other and get through all the intersections and have very few wrecks without any stop signs, without any signal lights and things like that. And I remember, I'm sure it showed on my face because I was just fascinated by it. Well, at the same time, there were um, some comments being made. You know, this is, a, this is a crazy system of driving, and you know, it's no wonder everybody doesn't kill each other and things like that. And I'm thinking, no, this is a really neat system. And so it's very important that we admire things about others and find the points that we like about them and admire about them and have in common with them. And so if you can find common beliefs, if you can find common values, if you can find common goals and things like that, really capitalize on that. And in your friendships, you know, say something, appreciate something, and, and be vocal about that, and build programs around those common grounds. And then secondly, you're gonna have to, um, you know, integrate into the neighborhood enough to find out what specific needs they have. What are the specific needs that would really touch their heart? And, um, you know, like, like my friends here were sharing, Find out what talents you have in the church and take those, you know, those services to that community. But at the same time, look and see what needs do they have, and then do we have the talent and the resource to meet those needs? Because there's specific needs that we all have. And if you can find a little niche that's something nobody's doing for them, but that they really feel a need for. So those two things: what do you have in common and appreciate, and what what need can you meet? There was a gentleman in, in Tennessee. Um, his church was about 40 members. And about five of their people went down to the local board of education and got trained and certified to become GED teachers. And they had free GED classes in their church. And their church grew from about 40 members to over 100 just because of that one ministry. And, and so the, the sky is the limit on what you can do. And uh, God will use you. Just pray about it. And, and just takes a prayer and elbow grease uh, to get moving, and God will bless. He will really bless. All right, next question. Um, what do you do when somebody invites you to their church? Someone invites you to their church? Um, I typically go. Um, you know, Mrs. White says, and I think it's good counsel, that we should be weary of trying to go to other churches without an invitation to recruit. You know, in other words, to try to say, well, I'm going to go to the, to the Baptist church today and see if I can find somebody to study the Bible with. Um, that can be dangerous because if we spend enough time in those places um, uninvited like that, um, and especially there are certain churches um, that are, I believe, you know, the enemy's playground, if, if you know what I'm talking about. And if we go to those places voluntarily, um, that we're in his ground, and it can become it can it can be dangerous. But if someone invites me to their church, I, I go, and um, 
Then, well, guess what I do in return? Hey, come with me. Come with me one week and just visit my church. And, and, um, and, and so I find it's a great way to build a bridge, but I don't make it a habit of going to their church, but I will go one or two times or you know, just to, to befriend that person to win their confidence. Um, and I think it's okay to do that. But again, you want to be cautious um, and, and, and be careful with that. Is there anything you want to add? No? Okay. Okay, next question. It said that related to his question, but how, do you, how is it different when you approach people who are already Christians, they're not Adventists, and I guess they figure everything is okay and we're all the same, we're all going to the same place and that sort of thing. So how, what kind of approach would, be, would you take with those persons? Um, generally, prophecy is a good approach to take with, with other denominations. Um, the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, of course, because most other denominations don't know a lot about prophecy. Um, although there's a lot of quote-unquote prophecy out there in, in other denominations. Um, generally, you find that people really don't know anything about prophecy. Um, so prophecy is always a good starting point to talk about. Daniel chapter 2 um, is always a good starting point. Very interesting for non-Christians as well as Christians. And um, again, health uh, is something that, um, that tweaks people's interests, whether you're Christian or not Christian. Uh, the sanctuary message is something that's very interesting. So we have the privilege of having all these doctrines that are um, distinct to our church and and also um, they're they're very interesting for for other Christians Daniel 2 always always is really really good when um, when you talk about that with other Christians I found there's something really fun that I like to do with people who are new Christians or are strong Christians and feel like you know I have this great experience you know why, why do you think that you know you have something to offer me because you know I pray every day and I study the Bible and I've explored these things and discovered these things you know why why you think your church is better than mine or something like that and one of the really fun things that I've been able to do at people's doors this is just one example but when you're going door to door with people you can ask them if they say well I'm really active in my church and you know I go to Bible study and I, I'm a Christian too and I just I got saved you know January 22nd and they're sharing their Christian experience really share in their joy and so take the time to say please tell me your story and so when someone is strong in their Christian faith and is discovering things and, and you know feels like you know maybe you don't have anything to offer me ask them to tell you their story and ask them to share with you how God answered prayers for that for them ask them to show you what they've been studying in the Bible be a learner from them I need to talk loud for when it's off, but I don't want to blast you when yeah, it comes back on. So um, ask them to teach you. When they're a new Christian, when they're discovering things, ask them to teach you everything they're learning. And that will really build a bridge because it breaks down that barrier that you know gets in people's mind that you're setting yourself up there and even though you're a new Christian and you're 
discovering all these things, you know, until you become a Seventh-day Adventist, you really don't have it, you know? <laughs> we don't want that barrier up there. So ask them to teach you, ask them to share with you. And then, that's the investigating part, right? For those who remember the ISR model of conversation, investigate, stimulate, and then relate. And so you really take an interest in them and learn from them and really be excited about what they share. And then ask stimulating questions such as, hey, have you ever read about um, this image in Daniel 2? Or have you ever read any of these prophecies in the Bible that talk about the future? And ask them some questions that they don't know the answer to. And then say, you know, I've been studying it. And again, don't make yourself out to be this great authority because then you'll put yourself up there and then down there. Say, well, why don't we study it together? Let's see what we can learn about this. So be a learner with them. First be a learner from them and then be a learner with them. And that can really break down the walls that come up when a person is so excited. I'll give an example about the opposite. Um, there was a, a lady who was just absolutely thrilled because she prayed and God gave her victory over smoking. And so she, was to, she came to share this incredible experience. And she said, you know, I just, I just quit smoking and I never thought I could do it, but God gave me the victory and God gave me the power and I'm just so excited about what God has done in my life. You know, and I've been speaking in tongues and it's just been this awesome Christian experience. Well, at that point, we need to rejoice with the lady, right? And what God has done. Unfortunately, what happened was the person listening to the story said, well, you know tongues is not biblical. And, you know, it's actually languages. And to speak in tongues is of the devil. And you could just see her just, you know, this, what she had experienced and what was so awesome to her just, oh, you know, her heart just sunk. Well, there's time later to talk about that. But when you're building bridges with new Christians and with quote-unquote strong Christians who don't have the truth, you really have to appreciate what God is doing in their life because God is leading people step by step. And so it can be really fun to be a learner first from them and then a learner with them. So ask stimulating questions that can open Bible study where you learn together. Is it working? No. He's going to go and find battery. All right. Anyone else? We've got about five or six minutes. This is your chance to ask a question without having to use the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. While they're briefing each other, I'll comment on that. And that it, one of the things that's really important to do when you have, you're reaching out to someone who's involved in a particular religious belief, is do your homework. Find out why would someone choose New Age religion. Find out what it is that they are finding in that religion that appeals to them. Now, I know that you know New Age is not what we believe, and it's not a religion from God and neither are the other false religions. However, every single religious belief out there has a certain amount of truth in it. 
and it's mixed with error, so it's fatal, okay? But there are certain things that different religions offer people. I'm gonna give some examples. Uh, Roman Catholicism really appeals to some people because it's been there forever. So people want stability. They want to know that it's, it's gonna be there, it's not gonna change, it's not gonna fail me, well it does, right? But the perception is that it's been there for a long time. Also, if you walk into a, you know, a Roman Catholic cathedral, what do you sense if you've been to one? There's a reverence and an awe and a grandeur. Well, is God, does God have that grandeur? Yes, he does. Well, it's a false religion, we know that, but people are drawn to it because there's some aspect of God that they're looking for that they feel like they find there. Now, you, you need to do that with the New Age religion. You need to look at the New Age religion and say, okay, here's someone who was raised Adventist. Somehow they didn't get that deep, satisfying relationship with God in their religious experience as an Adventist. It's not the fault of the message, but that person didn't find it there, didn't get that experience. Maybe they didn't surrender. We don't know, you know, the inner workings of what happened. And then they were presented with the New Age way of looking at things. And something about that appealed to them. If you can study and pray and do a little research and also get to know the person from that perspective and say, what is it that drew them to that? Then you can find out what they're looking for and help them find it in Jesus. Okay, so let's take New Age. Um, does anyone want to just throw out a couple things that are really powerful about New Age thinking? Yeah, we don't, we don't think about it as religious because it's so different. <laughs> it's so different. But it is a, it is a religious way of thinking at, at the same time. Okay, well, one of the things that's really big in New Age religion is that it's within you. Okay, there's something within you that is good. Okay? Now, many people, they really want to know that something is within them that's good. Now, we know that we're sinners. But God, does God see value in every single one of us? Yes. Does God want to come and live within us so that he changes us and makes us good from the inside out? Yes. And so again, you have to find out what a person is looking for, what they're ser searching for, and you have to find out what it is it that drew them there, because if you can share the real thing in Jesus, then it can draw them out of there. And so if you want to find that common ground, you want to find out what is it that this girl is searching for? and what is it that she's seeking for and then when you can present it in Jesus it's going to be so much more powerful than what she really hasn't found in the new age thinking because it's not really there but it, it presents itself as being there and again I really find that people respond when you appreciate what they're looking for when Jesus was walking and he saw a couple men following him after he was at the river with John the Baptist and he asked them what are you seeking what are you looking for and people become New Age, they become Catholic, they become charismatic, they become these different things because they think they've found something that they're looking for there. And if you can help them take that one step further and find that what they're looking for and they think they have, Jesus offers, you can pull them that step further. We got, I think we got time for maybe one more question. If anyone has one more question, anybody? Yes.
How long have you been studying with him? a week yeah. are you leaving the lessons with them and then coming back or how are you studying I would uh, if you're not leaving the lessons with them and so they don't know what the topic is that you're studying right is that correct right. I would put that off I would That's definitely, four or five weeks is certainly not enough time. That's okay. kind of what we were wondering because basically, I mean, that's the next one in the list of that would be next, and we're like, no, she's not like extreme practicing Catholic. Um, it's actually a couple. She was raised Catholic, and her husband was raised like Mennonite and Lutheran. So there's a difference there, and they're kind of looking for how to raise their kids. But their backgrounds and their thinking are both very different, and so. Yeah, I I personally would, um, you know, when we, when we would do our program every summer, um, we would use a series of lessons, and I would always always um, the beginning part. I was I would always make sure I built them up, so that by the time we get to like the Sabbath, we've studied for ten times with them, uh, the Antichrist a little further. Um, to really build that because what you want to do is build a friendship and four or five weeks you've built a friendship but it's not really strong yet um, and until you get that uh, I think it's going to be very difficult um, because even though she may not be um, like a staunch Catholic maybe some of her family is it's her roots and, and it, could, it could you could lose the study um, four or five weeks in I would put that off and personal. and when it's the right time to share, you have to share it. Um, but but it's, it's too early. But when you do share it, don't go in there with a steamroller. But be sure that you share it with them. I mean, because they need to hear it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so don't hold back when you do, but don't do it too soon. Another thing um, that you might want to be careful about is some of the later lessons after this lesson may say it may be on a su totally different subject, but it may bring up the Roman Catholic Church as teaching apostasy or whatever. So you have to be careful. Uh, you scan over the lesson ahead of time before you do that, uh, before you share that with them and make sure that they're not receiving that before you have a chance to cover it as well. Um, and any, any controversial subject, whether it's the Sabbath, well not the Sabbath, but speaking in tongues or, or if it's not a, a if it's an issue that you can put off, like, like the gift of tongues or something like that, put it off to the end and, and make sure that you, you, you cover things that, that you know that they'll be able to accept. Now, ultimately the time comes when you have to do that, but you know, be, be wise in, in, in that. And some people will, will take that principle and then they'll try to hide behind it and never share any deep truths. You gotta be careful you don't do that either. Um, but you want to have a balance and and when you come down to those final issues like speaking in tongues or adornment or something like this um, When that person struggles with that you can respond to them by saying look We've come all this way and you've seen so much truth. You've accepted it all Don't you think that the devil's going to try to pull one thing to prevent you from completely following Jesus? And, and many times people will do that. I had a lady once I studied with 
and she was just so adamant about speaking in tongues. And, and, and every time she would bring it up, she'd want me to talk about it. And I'd say, you know, let's study that later down the road. Let's study these now. And the more I studied with her, she accepted the Sabbath. She accepted all these different truths. And eventually, she was preparing almost. She was ready for baptism. And finally, we studied tongues. And um, she was adamant. And she resisted me on it for a couple weeks. And we just continued to study. I was just patient with her. And then ultimately, this is what she said to me. I, I, it blew my mind. About the third time we studied that subject, she said, you know what? She said, I realize that what you're saying is correct. And she said, and to tell you the truth, I never believed it anyway. She said, she told me that, and I couldn't believe it. My mouth fell before. But she had been so adamant about it. And I said, well, well, why have you been so, you know, insistent on it? And she said, it's simply what I grew up with. And she says, and it's all I knew. But now that I've seen the truth, you know, it, it opens my mind. And I've seen all these other truths, and I know that if the Bible is right about these things, the things we had already studied, she said, I know that the Bible, what you're showing me now, has to be true too. And I never believed it. So you, you never know with people, you know, where they're going to be or what, how they're going to respond. But if you know there's a controversial issue with them, try to slide it back in your studies. Be very wise about that. Okay, one more. Uh, Um, yeah, um, you know, door to door, we have some surveys we, we could give to you. Um, I don't know if there, there, there are any really like posted somewhere or you can get them, but we could give them to you. We can just email them to you. Um, and I have some stuff I can talk, we can talk to you about that. Um, but as far as study guides, I think most studies are good. Um, you know, it, it's going to vary from individual to individual. You know, you don't want to jump out of the order too much. But if you know there may be a difficult subject for that person, you may push that one back. But don't try to rearrange all the study guides. But, you know, you want to typically follow the general flow because most of them flow well. Um, but each person is going to be a little bit different. You know, one person may may be more interested in prophetic studies. So something like Prophecies of Hope by Gary Gibbs or Historicals of Prophecy are good. You may have someone that's, that's more relational, um, you know, uh, uh, emotional. So things like Discover or uh, Search for Certainty are good. So different people are good. I, I would familiarize myself with a variety of study guides and then you're gonna know you know, because some people will say, I've had people I study with, they say, you know, these, I, I'm just not getting much out of this. And, and I realize that it may be this type of study, so I suggest a different style, and they say, okay, I'll try those. They try them, and they're like, man, I love these. These are great. So every person is different. They have different interests. So find what appeals to that particular person and use that. Just get, I, what I would do is I would order a set of all of them, and as you go through them, go through them yourself. Yes, and and you'll you'll see you'll be able to tell. Uh, prophecies of hope, historicals of prophecy are are, are both prophetic based. Um, amazing fact study guides are are somewhat prophetic, but they're more subject topical. 
they're very good studies. Discover, search for certainty are more um, for people that are stories, stories and, and real, life. real life gushy stuff, okay? <laughs> and, and, and so, um, you know, it's true, the top, but they're good. I, I did them all, I enjoyed them. And so just typically, as this is not a hard fast rule, but it's about 70% true that men are typically more interested in the prophetic. They want to know, you know, these things. Women are typically more geared towards the emotional studies. And they all ultimately cover the same things. They just have different approaches. So use what works best for the individual, okay? Well, I think our time is out. So if you have individual questions, we'll be happy to uh, talk with you. Um, we thank you. I hope this has been helpful. Has it been helpful? Good. Well, why don't we just close with a word of prayer? And uh, I just got to say, we're so grateful that you guys came to our seminar. It's been a blessing for you to be here, and uh, it's been a privilege for us to uh, to serve you here at GYC. And uh, we hope that you guys have a great rest of the weekend. All right. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're just so thankful that we can come together and share ideas and share thoughts about how to be more effective for you. But most of all, Lord, we pray that you would, you would change our hearts because that's where it all begins. And that you would give us a desire, a burden uh, to know you more. And then, secondly, a desire to share you with others. And that we may be struggling as we're here. Some, of, some people here may be having difficulty. They may be struggling spiritually. I just pray that you'll surround those people, you'll bless them, you will draw them close to you, and that you would give us all a new sense of revival in our lives. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, and let us, let us just be drawn to you and understand who you are and your great love and purpose for our lives. That is our joy, that is our desire, and we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.